Are you trying to squeeze the starting solid food stuff into your already busy schedule? Well, I have an all-in-one done-for-you solution that's going to take the guesswork out of feeding your baby. My online program is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro. It contains all of my baby led weaning training videos, the original 100 First Foods content library, plus a 100-day meal plan with recipes like the exact sequence of which foods to feed in which order. So if you want to stop trying to piece all this feeding stuff together on your own, I would be honored if you would join me inside of the program. You can get signed up at babyledweaning.co slash program. Checking in about food allergies and introducing allergenic foods. And have you done peanut with your baby yet? Well, intact nuts and thick globs of nut butters like peanut butter are choking hazards for babies, but we want to get that peanut protein into your baby early and often in order to help lower the risk of peanut allergy down the road. My absolute favorite way to introduce peanuts for babies is using the Puffworks Baby Peanut Puffs. So When you hear puffs, like you're probably like, oh, those starchy little puff things. Like, no, no, no. Not the little ones that earlier eaters can't pick up. Those kind of crappy puffs from the store that have added sugar and refined grains and lots of salt. Uh uh. The Puffworks baby peanut puffs have no added sugar. They have just a smidge of sodium for preservatives, and they are the perfect size for baby led weaning. They're about the size of your adult pinky finger. So, you can, baby can pick them up, self-feed them, but they're so soft that they dissolve in your baby's mouth so you can introduce these peanut puffs even before your baby has teeth. Puffworks also makes a baby almond puff for the safe introduction of a separate allergenic food category. That's tree nuts. And now, finally, Puffworks put out a combo case. So it's half baby peanut and half baby almond. So if you want to grab one case, then you can knock out two new allergenic foods. We do these on different days, though. These are just the no-stress, low-mess way to get peanut and tree nut out of the way. So you can get 15% off everything at puffworks.com when you use the affiliate discount code BLWPOD. That's a new code. It's BLWPOD. Use that sucker at checkout at puffworks.com and get peanut and tree nut safely out of the way. A lot of children with Down syndrome tend to have high arched palates, and that's something that actually baby leaning might potentially help with jaw shape and palate shape eventually. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding, leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby led weaning. Hello and welcome to this episode about babies with Down syndrome and how they can do baby-led weaning. And my guest today is Sabrina Smiley-Evans. She is a speech-language pathologist. She is the mom of a son named Graham, who's three years old now. Graham has Down syndrome, and they did baby-led weaning with Graham. And Sabrina, along with her colleague and friend Sarah, they run the Instagram account Able Appetites. And so Able Appetites features children with Down syndrome learning to become independent eaters. I'm so excited that Sabrina's on because I've been familiar with her page and her baby and her situation for two and a half years. She actually reached out when she wanted to start solid foods with Graham. She did baby led weaning. It looked a little different than baby led weaning might look for neurotypical children, maybe for your child. But for those of you who are listening, because you have a child or you work with children who have Down syndrome, Sabrina has a really important message, which is how you can help your child achieve independent eating and independence using baby led weaning, even if they have Down syndrome. So I've been putting this episode together for a while. We actually had Jill Rabin on 
A while back, Jill Rabin is a speech-language pathologist who created the adapted approach to baby-led weaning. She was on in episode 198 talking about adapted baby-led weaning for feeding challenges. And Jill, who is working on a book right now with Jill Rapley, who's the original founding philosopher of the whole baby-led weaning movement and the author of the original baby-led weaning book, Jill Rapley and Jill Rabin were working on this book about adapted baby-led weaning. We're talking about Down syndrome. And I had asked Jill Rabin to do an episode about Down syndrome. And she's like, no, 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 no. You've got to have Sabrina from Able Appetites do it. So this is the first time we actually met in real life in this interview. And I could have talked to her for hours. We had to cut it down. But there's still some very, very valuable information in there. And what I hope you listen to is kind of the takeaway message that there is this list. It's not a formalized list. But for those of you who work in feeding, there's a list of diagnoses or feeding challenges where you'll see baby led weaning might not work for and then lists all of these conditions or these diagnoses. And my intention with my platform and with this podcast is to highlight that while certainly not all children can do baby led weaning exactly the same, no two babies do anything the same, I do want to highlight the success stories of families who have had experiences learning how to do solid foods using the baby led approach. And again, it might look very different. That's the whole point of Jill Rabin's adapted baby-led weaning approach so that we can stop spreading the myth that, oh, well, all children with Down syndrome will always need to be spoon-fed by their parents because certainly that's not the case. So I think with Sabrina having the background as a speech-language pathologist and her background in early child development, she really brings a unique perspective in addition to being a mom of a child with Down syndrome who did baby-led weaning. So with no further ado, I want to introduce you guys to Sabrina Smiley-Evans. She is the co-founder of the Able Appetites Instagram page, and we're going to be talking about Down syndrome baby-led weaning success stories. Thank you so much for having us, Kate. It's such a pleasure, and I don't know if I told you this, but when Sarah and I were getting started doing baby-led weaning, you were one of our primary sources. Oh, because at the time there was not very much out there, you know, even though it was just whatever, two and a half years ago, you were one of the primary sources that we used on Instagram and the way that you presented a variety of different texture options for different foods was incredibly helpful. Well, thank you. And I noticed you guys took my account. You guys tagged me a ton and I was like, wait, this is so interesting because I was explaining a little bit before we started the recording that One of our overarching goals is to really help dispel this notion that there's a laundry list of conditions or diagnoses of types of babies who can't do baby led weaning. So occasionally you'll see things on less well-informed sites or outlets that will say things like babies with lip ties or tongue ties can't do it. If you have a cleft palate, you can't do baby led weaning. If your baby has Down syndrome, you can't. And so if you've noticed through our content little by little, we're just trying to dispel those myths by highlighting families who are doing baby led weaning. Maybe it looks different. And we've had Jill Rabin on the podcast talking about her adapted baby led weaning approach. She works with children with Down syndrome. And I know you guys are familiar with her work. We originally were going to do a Down syndrome episode with Jill Rabin. She's like, no, 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 no. You need to talk to Sabrina from Able Appetites. And I was like, yes, this is the opportunity because I've been really familiar with your guys' work. So before we dive into questions about Down syndrome and baby led weaning, could you just tell us a little bit about your background, both as a professional and a parent? Absolutely. So I'm a speech language pathologist. I graduated from Vanderbilt a long time ago, and I had been primarily focusing on early intervention, autism, and feeding. So a lot of my feeding experience had been more in the sensory-based realm and helping children with autism, but I had a relatively diverse early intervention caseload as well. And one of the things that I noticed as I was helping these children learn how to eat 
was that what their parents were offering them from the beginning was making a huge difference in what they would accept later on, whether or not they became picky eaters, whether or not they were willing to try different things, regardless of their diagnosis. And I had a friend, you know, this is how it always begins, right? You have a friend who is trying this cool new thing called baby led weaning and started to follow along and was really interested in using that for my son, Graham. So my son, Graham is now three years old and he has Down syndrome. I have some allergies and I was worried that he may experience some of those same food allergies. You know, we don't want to put our stories on our children, but at the same time, we want to be aware of the things that we've experienced so that we can kind of help support their development. And so I really wanted to be able to have more control over what types of food I offered him to be able to keep a really good log of how he responded to those different foods. And baby led allows for you to do that at a much greater degree and still include a lot of really healthy, wonderful foods without feeling limited. And then at the heart of what we're doing with Able Appetites is also the fact that we really would like for all children to feel included in their families. And one of the best ways we can do that is for them to be included in the family meal, which baby led weaning allows you to do at a far greater degree than having a separate meal planned for you. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit betterhelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. So Able Appetites, your online community, your Instagram page Give us the background on that. How did you get connected with Sarah? What is your guys' intention there? What's your plan for Able Appetites? And for the audience members who maybe aren't familiar with Able Appetites, what is it that you guys do? So Sarah, Quirk, and I met via the Down Syndrome Diagnosis Network when Graham and Cleo were just babies. So they were around three and four, five-ish months old. And Sarah asked if anybody else was interested in doing baby led weaning with their child with Down syndrome. And I was so excited because it was something that I wanted to do, but felt fear around doing even a speech language pathologist who had helped many other kids on their feeding journey. And so I was like, pick me, I need someone else to speak with about this. So we became each other's support system in looking up resources and ways that we could adapt as Jill Rabin talks about ways that we could adapt baby led weaning to allow our child to have access to that family meal. And now we have this platform that we're running on Instagram called Able Appetites, which is supposed to be a community resource for families that have children with Down syndrome, but we don't discriminate against numbers of chromosomes. All chromosome amounts are welcome. And 
we try to provide resources and help families find the things that helped us as well. So you're there as a resource for parents, especially I know for parents of children who have Down syndrome. It's so disheartening for me, especially as an expert in baby led weaning. I know that they feel this way when they see, oh, there's this list of things that, you know, babies who have Down syndrome can't do. And one of them is maybe feed themselves. Oh my gosh, is my child going to be dependent? Are they going to be tube feed dependent? Am I going to have to spoon feed them forever? And so thinking about the power of Instagram and power of video, right? Like no one can tell you, well, babies with Down syndrome can't do baby led weaning because there's Graham learning how to feed himself. So that resource is available, which is wonderful. But I'm wondering if you can take us back to the time when Graham was approaching six months of age and with an SLP background, you were like, okay, developmentally, he could be getting ready to start solid foods. Did you feel supported outside of the connection you had with Sarah? Did you have practitioners telling you you could or could not do baby led weaning? Did you feel like you had to figure it all out on your own? What was happening at Graham's six month mark? So I definitely felt alone. I think that most of the providers that we were working with were frankly, too afraid to tell me that he couldn't because I was like too determined that he could, if that makes sense. So they weren't going to burst my bubble about that, but they gave me some things that they felt like he needed to be able to do first. One of which was that he needed to be able to cross midline and, you know, needed to be able to sit unsupported. And while I know that those things can be really beneficial I worked with the team that we have uh, as far as his physical therapist and an occupational therapist friend of mine. And then I did a bunch of research and deep diving into the things that I could find. There was one blog post from a fellow mom of a child with Down syndrome who had done baby led meeting. And there was Jill Rabin's uh, presentation. It was one of the first that she had done. She said, I think for, I don't know, maybe the University of Arkansas. And there were slides and Sarah and I just gobbled up all of this stuff to help ourselves prepare. And in a way, our experiences were the same, but also different because Sarah has two older children like that are older siblings to Cleo. And so she already had experience. And so I think that she was actually a little bit more fearless sometimes in what she offered her. And I was more likely to adapt things. But Graham and Cleo are also just different kids. So Graham also had a tongue tie release. And so there were a few things that I had to look out for and accommodate. So things like black beans, the skin on black beans, even if cooked until they were soft, would be more likely to get stuck in his palate. A lot of children with Down syndrome tend to have high arched palates. And that's something that actually baby learning might potentially help with jaw shape and palate shape eventually. But I would have to check his mouth to make sure that he didn't have any bean skins stuck in his palate at the very, very beginning stages when he was six and seven months, because we were able to start at six months. We felt like he was safe in a supported seat. We have the AB high chair, but I know that there are several others that we like. I know that you guys have sometimes have featured the Nomi chair, which looks amazing. And in his supported seat, he looked really great. He was able to control his respiration and also bring foods to his mouth really quickly with scaffolding. So we talk a lot about teaching them to be independent from the beginning and not dependent upon us because they need a little extra motor practice. So the idea of doing baby led weaning sometimes also gives them that additional motor practice. So by the time they're between nine and 12 months, when you want them to be eating more volume, they're ready. And 
you're not waiting until the point when they're closer to 12 months and maybe they feel like they don't want you to feed them, but they don't have the skills yet because they haven't been practicing them. So he was able to hold on to his own little utensils and bring them to his mouth. We started with handing at midline, and then I would have him follow my hand down to the edge of the tray so that he knew how to pick it up from the tray where it was resting on a silicone plate, you know, so it had a little bit of an edge for him to grab. How about cup drinking? Did you guys start with open cup drinking? And I kind of forgot to ask, but what was the infant milk situation with Graham up until you started solid foods? Yeah, we were really lucky and he was able to be an exclusive breastfeeder until... I, my mouth just dropped. Yeah, like That's we made it- so amazing. We could probably do a whole separate episode on breastfeeding your baby with Down syndrome, but congratulations. Thank you. And, you know, Sarah and Cleo were able to achieve that too. And we hear more stories every day because people like Julia's Way and Jill Rabin are getting the word out that it is absolutely possible for your child with Down syndrome to breastfeed. And, you know, we know that not everyone will always be able to achieve that, but if that's a goal of yours and it's something you want to work on, it is absolutely a great thing to try to do. And I really appreciated the time that we had to do that and to bond and for to nurture him in that way. But in answer to your question, <laughs> so I prefer to start with an open cup as an SLP because the liquid in a straw moves really quickly. And so a tiny cup like the easy peasy tiny cup or I t- used the nosy cup because I was unaware of the easy peasy product line at that point in time, though I really wish that I had been aware of it because they all look amazing. So starting with that, just a small one ounce amount of liquid is what I preferred to do. And so Graham was practicing drinking from an open cup once a day and I used water, but you know, Dawn has changed my mind. It's so funny because we don't do water generally for babies up until they're close to like 10 months of age for neurotypical children. She doesn't love it because of a thin liquid and is a little bit more challenging, but you know, you're an SLP. So, and again, trust your mom gut. You guys know your baby's best, but like there are definitely some babies who struggle a lot on thin liquids. And so working with infant milk, be it breast milk or formula can be easier. I don't love water early on because it takes up very valuable room in a baby's stomach. It can make them feel artificially full, at which point we're interfering with that feedback loop, especially for older babies. They are at the point where they can start listening and responding to their hunger and fullness cues. I don't want them to be pumped full of water and be like, oh, I'm not hungry, and then not eat food. So Don and I are kind of, it's funny, we don't disagree on that, but we agree with water later for different reasons. And that's coming from, you know, your own professional background. You're an SLP, I'm a dietitian. You guys have both convinced me that using a source of milk is a way better option, especially for children with Down syndrome or children who may have differences in motor tone. Because, and I just did not realize this, you know, we learn new things all the time, but it's upwards of 60 to 70% of babies with Down syndrome silently aspirate. So, so it's a really high number and starting with the thicker liquid, which is usually the prescription. If you come up with aspiration is just going to increase their success. So if you've got those containers of purees, that's an excellent way to use them in the open cup. Absolutely. You don't need to go buy like thicket and make your own thickened water. Like you were in a nursing home or something, but there are thicker liquids. We even do a coconut milk with a baby. I was working with some had had some low tone issues And she just did better drinking plain coconut milk. It doesn't have to be super fancy. It was just thicker than water. And sometimes the flavor too, you know, has an alerting component so that they pay attention a little bit more to where their articulators and oral musculature is going. But at the time, as a mom, I was like, I do not want to go back to a breast pump if I never have to. I know that's the problem. A lot of moms that breastfeed are like, I'm not wasting this. And then some moms are open, like, listen, I'll try formula. I'm like, listen, we can also try purees. We can try, I mean, there's different ways to do thicker liquids. It doesn't have to be you wasting your valuable breast milk. I get that. 
Besides baby led weaning, what other type of podcasts do you like to listen to? Well, if you're into true crime and you also dig traveling, I want to tell you about a new podcast you are going to love. The new podcast is called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that all take place on vacation. So the show is hosted by a true crime fanatic and her comedy writer husband, and he has a TV producing partner. So Slaycation brings a totally unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, what the heck stories of vacations gone horribly wrong from the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, their two recently engaged lovebirds, whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended up underwater. Every episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that will intrigue you. I think you're going to love the discussion between the longtime married couple and the business partners. They also happen to be an Emmy-nominated TV producer's Every episode of Slaycation also includes humor and takeaway and travel tips that are going to keep your next family vacation from becoming your last. So if you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So Sabrina, I want to ask now about what are some of the typical feeding challenges? And you mentioned some of them, but that for parents of children who have Down syndrome, things that they should look out for? Maybe that the timing would be a little bit different than a neurotypical child or some of the things regarding the palate or the motor skills that might put them on a different time frame for baby led weaning, but certainly are not things that are insurmountable. So the really big overarching one for most children with Down syndrome is low tone. That inability to keep all their muscles activated and working in the way that they would like to. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're not strong and you'll often see them even meet milestones on time. Graham met a lot of his motor milestones, but the problem was he wasn't doing it as much or holding it for as long as his neurotypical peers. So that's a core one because you do need some of that core strength and the arm strength and the hand-eye coordination in order to feed yourself at the table. But feeding allows for a lot of great opportunities to also strengthen those muscles. So What we say for the most part is to talk to your team. So you need to talk with your team, check and make sure that they have the reflexes that you would want them to have. Do they have a gag reflex? Do they have lateralizing reflex? Are they able to both breathe and sit in their chair in a supported fashion? Because recreation is always going to come first and have your physical therapist or your occupational therapist help with positioning because hopefully, especially during this early intervention period, you're going to have a little bit more support. And then other things to look out for are it's more common to have allergies, especially to dairy, I believe. And from what I've read, it's more common to have tongue ties or tethered oral tissues from what I've read. And then looking out for constipation. So between the low tone and what their diet is, a lot of children with Down syndrome experience constipation. And it's important to rule out some of the more I don't know, invasive reasons for constipation, such as Hirschsprung's disease. But for most children, it's just a matter of making sure that they have the right fiber and that they are learning how to chew because those digestive enzymes are going to make a huge difference in their ability to digest their food safely. And then of course, the silent aspiration, which we were just talking about. Okay. But none of the silent aspiration, obviously scary. You're an SLP. You work in this arena. Let's talk about that. You said upwards of 60% of children with Down syndrome 
have silently aspirated, I'm not familiar with that statistic. Not that I doubt it. I just as like have never heard it. That's a very high percentage. That would scare me away from wanting to start solid foods. Well, and you know, silent aspiration isn't as much of a concern for foods. Most of the time it is going to be for thin liquids, which at this point in time, like we were talking about their primary nutrition and their primary liquid is going to be a safer liquid, such as a formula or breast milk. So that is a concern. And I would say shade towards thicker liquids, like we were talking about when practicing with an open cup. And I personally prefer to wait until they are more of a functional sitter to work on a straw cup. SLPs who have background in feeding recommend. Okay. And I wanted to mention something too. You said earlier, you know, you're talking about working with your team and you're going to have more support. And I assume you meaning from therapists at the early intervention phase. So you were, I would say, probably lucky in a way that you already worked with an OT and you already worked with the PT. But the reality is a lot of those practitioners are not always on board with baby led weaning. They don't understand it. They have misconceptions about it. They don't understand the research that shows that there's no higher risk of choking with baby led weaning as compared to traditional spoon feeding, provided that parents are educated. And a lot of times they lack the skill set to educate the parents. Did you encounter any therapists who were like, oh, no, you should force feed by spoon? Or were your team mostly supportive? Or were you like, I'm doing this, so you better be on board with it? Like what was happening there with the interaction between the therapists? My experience is very unique because I handpicked my team and they're all wonderful and supportive and also am sort of dogmatic sometimes when I want to do something. So I did not encounter any pushback, but I hear every single day practically from families who are hearing that from their pediatrician, from their early interventionists, sometimes from feeding therapists, because, you know, there's a lot of controversy right now in the feeding world. People do not agree on all of these things, which is why I can only share what my opinion and my experiences are. And feeding is one of those things where every single person feeds themselves in some way. And so every single person, everyone's an expert, everyone's an expert in feeding. They've all fed a child practically. And, you know, they've also fed themselves and everyone wants to tell you something. And I will tell you as a mom of a child with a disability, it is exhausting sometimes to have this many different opinions. So I would say that if It is something that you would like to do. You need to pick your team. Maybe you need to hire Dawn or Jill for consultation so that you know what to ask for specifically. Reading the things that you need to do, asking people questions, you know, why can't they do that? And then if that person isn't a good fit, then move on. I think that's something that we don't realize when they're little. We think that we just have to take what we've been given and we're appreciative for what we've been But that doesn't necessarily mean that that person is the right person for us in this particular circumstance. And I love that message, too, because your advocate for your child in all aspects when they can't do it for them and finding the people who are willing to help you. And also with feeding therapy, as a lot of our audience already knows, we do a really a lot of work to kind of remove the stigma around the word therapy. It freaks parents out. You know, sometimes in as little as one or two sessions, you can get some tips or some exercises from a credentialed feeding expert, so an SLP or an OT who is a feeding therapist who can help your baby get to their milestones. Depending upon the disability or the diagnosis, it might be a little bit later than you had wanted or originally anticipated, but your account, your work, your own experience with Graham, Sarah's experience with Cleo is really showing that, yes, this can be done. It might look a little different or be on a different time frame. but I just want to say thank you for sharing that because honestly, I just sit on your Instagram page and watch I love watching all babies eat. And it's so uplifting to see 
a group of babies, babies with Down syndrome, who if you look at other outlets, will say, oh, they'll never be able to feed themselves. And there are certainly cases of babies with Down syndrome who can't feed themselves, generally due to other comorbidities. However, I think your story that, hey, you figured it out and did it gives other parents hope that maybe I can incorporate some of this into my own experience with my own child. So Sabrina, tell us where can our audience go to learn more about Able Appetites? You can find us on Instagram at Able Appetites. And I will say that, you know, we never pressure anybody about which path they want to take because there is a lot of trauma and fear that comes sometimes from being in a NICU. You know this. And We don't want anyone to do anything that they feel uncomfortable about. But I think that just the message that all kids are capable. And, you know, the more that I watch children with Down syndrome achieve different things, I start to wonder which is the chicken and which is the egg. Are we creating a self-perpetuating myth that children with Down syndrome can't do these things by not allowing them to do these things and to not build these skills when they have protective reflexes? Or is there really, you know, something preventing them? And I'm starting to wonder if that percentage of children that really have something preventing them from succeeding is much smaller than we ever imagined. The way that I look at baby led weaning is that it is providing an opportunity for safety because we can never predict what a child is going to pick up off the floor and put in their mouths. Is it going to be a bandaid? Is it going to be a piece of mulch? And in my mind, baby led weaning is giving them the practice and the tools to keep themselves and their airway safe in all environments, regardless of whether it's around food or if it's going to be trialing playground mulch because what kid hasn't trialed playground mulch? Well, thank you so much, Sabrina. I really appreciate your time and for sharing your own personal experience, but also for the work that you and Sarah are doing at Able Appetites. Thank you so much. And thank you for what you do. Like I said, you made such a huge difference and we're one of the only like resources that we could find at the time. It was a very small select few groups. So we made it to our hundred foods list by one and I was very excited. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Sabrina Smiley-Evans. If you're not already following Able Appetites, please do on Instagram. They're a fabulous resource highlighting babies who have Down syndrome, who start solid foods with baby led weaning. They show you why it might be a little different, what it might look like, but they're also sharing the stories of these babies transitioning into toddlerhood and to older children. So you can see how your own child with Down syndrome or the children that you work with, if you're a therapist or a practitioner, how they might be able to achieve some level of success with a baby-led approach when starting solids. So I'll link up everything and all of the resources that Sabrina shared in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 218. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.